This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Dorinda Wood, and I was the costume designer on Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2, and you are listening to Trek FM. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Joe Keegan, and joined with me today are my two favourite hosts, Amy Nelson and Justin Ozer. Amy, how are you today? I am doing so good, so glad to be talking Star Trek again. I, it's great to be back. I mean, I still feel like I've been gone, so second week. You were here last week. I know I, I know. was, but I miss you guys. But- but we were so used to you not being here, so oh. that it feels quite unusual that you are. Mm-hmm. Favorite. So, it's nice. I, I did say favorite just now. Both favorites. It's not a binary choice. Except when I'm gone. Ju- True. Well, you're not here. How would I, why would you be my favorite if you were gone? <sighs> Justin, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, good to be here. This one actually comes out on December 24th, Christmas Eve. So happy <gasps> holidays to everybody listening. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Christmas, yeah. everyone. Do you say happy Christmas we in the US? We say Merry Christmas. Or do you say happy... Me, me, okay. Um, <laughs> happy you, holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Yeah. Happy holidays is a very American thing. Well, it's... Because I've only ever heard on movies. Well, it's, it's, to, it's to cover that around this time there are other holidays like Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and things like... And New Year's. And it's to kind of all the holiday season. So, you'd say happy holidays for like all of it. Right? Uh, Ah, okay, interesting. What is Kwanzaa? I have heard of it, but I know nothing about it. I can't say that I can explain a lot of the details, but I think it's really a, a holiday that, that came about uh, a few decades ago, well, longer than that probably, in wanting to recognize uh, certain African traditions. So, yeah. Okay. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> we talked about politics. Well, we talked about politics yeah, before we started religion. recording here. And we started so. recording, I know, but <laughs> we're so multi-skilled, aren't we? It's, Indeed. It's amazing. Uh, okay, uh, Justin, um, you have some news for us. Uh, yeah, as, th- as I think everyone listening here knows, uh, in this past week since we last recorded a podcast, uh, Rene Aubergenois uh, passed away. It was very sad news. Uh, I was, you know, personally very shocked by it. Had no idea that uh, that he was sick at all. Um, 
So just wanted to uh, pay a little tribute here. Of course, uh, best known to Star Trek fans as Odo in Deep Space Nine. He was just so amazing in that role. I loved him so much. Uh, he also uh, played Colonel West in Star Trek VI in scenes that only really ended up in the director's cut. Uh, and he also had a role on Star Trek Enterprise as Ezral in the episode Oasis. But uh, just very sad news, you know, coming uh, on the heels of uh, Dorothy D.C. Fontana passing away. So, you know, all within a week and uh, quite sad news and just wanted to take a moment to uh, to recognize that here. Yeah. Uh, I was very saddened to hear this and I saw out on the Twitter verse and, you know, people are like, this is why I need to attend STLV to see these actors. They are getting older and we just don't know how long we're going to have with them. So every chance we can to, you know, support them and see them and interact with them, uh, just means so much more and seeing him, you know, STLV as I have just, a huge fan. I loved him on Boston Legal and seeing him, you know, on that show as well. Ah, excuse me. So, mm. yeah. Stop it. I know. Oh, <laughs> it's a tough loss. Um, yeah, I know. It, it made me, because it was last Sunday it happened and I just had a lovely day out with my mum and dad and Ewan and we had a wee pre-Christmas day out and it was just really nice and then go back home and I read the news and I was deeply upset by it. Um, unusually for me because I don't normally like famous people die all the time and I don't really bat an eyelid at it yes it's sad that an, another human's died but with Renee and I, I, I realised that I'd really love that ensemble cast in Deep Space Nine and I know it's maybe a bit controversial to say on a TNG podcast but like Deep Space Nine is right up there as like if not my favourite, then I'm really, really close. Oh, you, you can say it, Joe. I've said a few times here that Deep Space Nine is my favourite. Okay, then I think it possibly is. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, just it hit me. It kind of knocked me for six. Yeah, and, and when we're starting um, to lose them, so, you know, Renee and then uh, Aaron Eisenberg a little while back, and it, it just makes you realise that, I mean, that show, the last episode aired only a little over 20 years ago, and already we're, we're losing people from it. So, it's... Um, yeah, it's quite sad to think about, but, you know, we can remember um, what we really appreciate about, you know, him as a human being and the roles that he had and, and pay tribute in that way. Yeah. I watched His Way. Mm. Is that the one Kira and Odo get It is, together? and that's the first one with Vic Fontaine as and well. Yeah, and it's just made me happy to mm -hmm. see them. It's a great episode. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Let's do some Babel Conference feedback for Earl Grey 301, which was Booby Trap, with our guest, Shoab Mirza. Justin. Yeah, so Christopher Baca says, The trap is interesting using the targeted vessel's own power to destroy it. As the ship uses more power to defend itself, the assimilators drain the ship faster. Instead of using maneuvering thrusters, they should have just attached some old-fashioned chemical-powered rockets to the hull. Well, thanks, uh, Christopher, for that comment, that's actually an interesting idea, attaching some some chemical rockets. Um, I don't know, uh, maybe off screen they considered it and they just didn't have enough time to build some. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's an interesting idea because usually in Star Trek, it's like, okay, do we have warp drive? All right, do we have impulse engines? Okay, if that doesn't work, do we have thrusters? You know, and they're not thinking about like any kind of way of propulsion other than that on a starship, but it's an interesting idea. Um yeah, that's I 
it's a good idea. And I don't know why they couldn't just repl- replicate a big. Well, you'd need like some industrial replicator that could make something that big or make the parts and assemble it. I don't know. I just like to think it would have taken a really long time, but I don't know. Interesting, I thought, though. Um So Jimmy Goss writes in and says Picard ordering phasers to fire on the collectors despite Data's warning was one of his dumbest moments as captain. Well, just say it like it is (laughs) there, Jimmy. (laughs) So that sounds like it was a really, really terrible episode. They didn't make big rockets to strap on the hull and Picard stupidly ordered the phasers to fire. Well, whose idea was it to fire on the collectors? Oh. I'm trying to remember. I don't know. Probably yeah. wolves, though. Yeah. Fire on Fire. Yeah. <laughs> Fire everything. Andrew Bridal says, I have seen this episode many times, but only while listening to your podcast today did I realise the clever little link they snuck in between Geordie's failed holodeck date and the main plot. The music the violinist was playing was composed by the man who has the same surname as the engineer who designed the, the D's warp engine, Brahms. Yes, and obviously, Leah Brahms is... Oh, I forgot that word. What was that word that I couldn't get last week or the week before, Justin? It's not ancestor. It's the opposite of ancestor. Descendant. Descendant. (laughs) Yes. So, Leah Brahms is a descendant of Johann Brahms, the composer. Yeah, it was you who who made the link, and I hadn't thought of it really that much. I discovered it. I didn't know, but I wanted to know what that piece of music was when I had my mini rant about the the details of the holodeck, the most perfect holodeck program in existence with the Coco Nonos. Yeah, and the beach, I mean, like, um, so it turns out it was Brahms, Hungarian dance number five, if I recall. So thanks for that, Andrew. Yeah, I was surprised to learn that too. All right. Stefan Ringline says, what an extraordinary episode with one of my favorite guest speakers. Show up always brings great topics on board. I love Booby Trap and could watch it over and over. While doing so, after listening to this podcast, I developed a new theory. So here it comes. The computer of the Enterprise D has a crush on Geordi and uses Leah Brahms as an avatar to explore these feelings. Think about it. The computer started generating the image first, and the computer started with this shoulder massage. P.S. I also build both Lego starships and Star Trek models. It was great fun with epic space battles. Great fun listening to you guys, as always. Well, Stephen, I love your little theory there, and I could totally see it. I think uh, Leah Brahms was the avatar to explore its feelings for Jordy, because Jordy's the one always fixing her and working with her. Well, let's think about this. Are there any other episodes where we could say that the computer does some kind of action that says it has a crush on Jordy? I don't know. Maybe it expressed it in this one, then it was like, I went too far. <laughs> so I'm just going to, you know, hold hold back. Here. Maybe she realized she wasn't interested in Jordan. Yeah, like all a, other women. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Burn. I, I don't know what to say after that. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Amy killed <laughs> Jordy's love life. Thanks, Amy. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah I love the fact, Stefan, that you build the Star Trek models. I had so much fun doing that growing up. Um, not convinced by the computer having a crush on Geordi, I'm afraid. 
Let's do some Babel Conference feedback for Earl Grey 302, which was First Contacts and TNG with our guest April Taylor. All right. We have Yvette Blackman who says, after this sad week, I need some Earl Grey. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And uh, yeah, so I was referencing people we lost that we talked about earlier and um, I guess you needed to, to listen to us to feel better, which is great. Or maybe you just needed some tea. I mean, either way, that sounds helpful. <laughs> oh, a cup of tea sounds nice at the moment. I'll have to get me one. Justin. Yeah, so KC Pettit says, great discussion and a really interesting topic. Hashtag still listening. I'm really looking forward to making first contact with lots of fans next year at STLV. So, Casey, so glad to hear that you'll be coming to Star Trek Las Vegas, which yes, Joe and I talked I about as, you know, first contacts at conventions. Yeah. That's Amy's fault, isn't it? A little bit. Amy has a list yeah. and she checks it. A thousand I times, do. more than Casey's twice. He's on my list, and I saw on social media that he's already booked his hotel. So I am very looking forward, Casey, to meeting you. So, so are we all? Yes. Okay, Johnson Lai says, thanks for an interesting discussion. However, I disagree with your view on the Prime Directive. It's not just about cultural contamination, it's about natural development. If Starfleet encounters a pre-warp civilization that's dying of disease or natural disaster, the Federation should let them die. Doing otherwise would be playing God. Enterprise's Dear Doctor always comes to mind when I think about this topic. However, you are right that how it was handled in Pen Pals was quite clever. This sort of ethical debate is why I love Star Trek. That's harsh, Johnson. Just let them die. That's nearly Joe-level <laughs> harsh. Well, I, um, I, I think maybe the way that I would I would think about that is, you know, if you come across a culture or a civilization, you see that there's a natural disaster, people are dying of disease. I think there might be a difference between like a certain portion of them will and the species will live on and they're all going to die. Um so I think I'm I'm just thinking more in that extreme where it's like there's going to be some disaster or disease is going to wipe out absolutely everybody on the planet that I would be more likely to consider like hey there is going to be no natural development in the future if they all die uh, but you could also argue their nat- course of natural development is just to be gone so I mean I think it is a difficult question I'm just saying that I've had a little difficulty in thinking about it as just standing by while an entire planet dies? Well, I think there's a couple of examples where, I mean, just from Into Darkness at the beginning with the volcano or, you know, with a spot going down to do that. And also the first episode of Discovery, you know, where they're, again, trying to well, save this planet with the water d- thing. Discovery, like, that's- Discovery, I think that first episode is different because I thought that they were trying to correct something that was created they by, were. They were, by the Federation. No, no, no. No, it was a mining accident. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah it was something the Federation oh, so created. so they were repairing So they were, okay. yeah, so I think that's, that's a little bit different. The, I mean, the example okay. with Into Darkness, like, I don't think it was because of anything that Starfleet no, that had done that was just geological and they wanted to yeah, fix so it. That's sort so that's like, you know, ah. I know like, and that was pre-warp civilization. Yeah. I mean, I think in different parts of Star Trek, it's gone kind of back and forth. Right. Um, and then there's the one with Worf's foster brother where they're going to let them all die, but he says, no, you're not. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic and I'm glad that we can talk about it and think about it before we actually encounter other civilizations out there. So 
Yeah. So as Star Trek fans, we will be prepared for that moment and to have that discussion, I hope. <laughs> I don't think I could stand by and let a sentient civilization, whether or not they were pre-warp or not, um, die. So that would... I'd feel in some way responsible because I would have the power to do something and I didn't or wasn't. But of course, what if it turned out that there are tons of civilizations out there and there's one that's, you know, dying all the time. You don't even have all the resources to save them. Right. I mean, I don't know. It might become difficult if it's a lot. Mm. Anyway, we'll see. We could go. We could talk about this the whole episode, really. We might. It might come up in true (coughs) Q. Does, um, who is it that says it? Is it Janeway in a Voyager episode? Like, about what happens if, in one of these civilizations, talking about the Prime Directive, you save a child and the child turns up, turn, um, grows up to be that planet's version of Hitler. Right. But, but I mean, you, you, that you could also say, what if that child turns out to be the savior of the entire planet? I mean, like, you don't know what the future holds and how you're impacting no. it is the difficult thing, right? Yeah. Mm. True. Anyway. Okay. All right. Well, we yes. have Kimberly Lawler writes in and says, nice discussion as always. April did a great job. Two thoughts. One, I agree that the Vulcan first contact scene from the end of first contact is one of the best scenes in all of Trek. It's so incredibly hopeful. And two, I think Joe continues to give the benefit of the doubt to the schisms alien is just utterly baffling. They abducted people in their sleep and performed horrifying experiments on them. I don't see how it could all be just a benign misunderstanding. Anyways, I just think it's funny that it's come up a few times. Well, Kimberly, I am on Joe's side of the argument because I think they are. They're benign. They're explorers. They're trying to figure out who and what we are in this mm, other dimension. I but think based on the information we have, they're pretty not benign, <laughs> at least as far as the Enterprise crew is concerned. You don't know that. Well, what we do know is that they they're... They s- just, from their, from their layer of subspace, they might just view us as like pond scum. And just yeah, but you're speculating. Oh. You don't know that. Uh, I mean, it could yeah. also be that that they don't like us and want to do experiments on us. I mean, I you, you just don't yeah. know and the I motivation. Think that's why we're giving them the benefit exactly, of the doubt because, because there are hopeful. doubts. We don't know. Yes. Well, yeah, but at the same, so we're not saying it one way or the other. Yeah, but at the same time, unlike need, unlike Justin and Kimberly, who you. are just saying no, they're horrible people. No, no, Kill I'm not. I, no, this like, is unacceptable. Hold on, you know, guys. Warp is always like hold on. fire, raise shields. No, no, no. no, no. Let's hold on. see what's going on. I'm not on. saying that they're mm-hmm. that they're that they're definitely terrible people. We might not understand the motivations. I'm saying we don't know. So all we can do is try to stop the harm that's happening and seal that off, which is what they do. But you you can't say, well, maybe it's benign. I mean, you can't let that affect your judgment. You have to stop it from happening. And that's it. I mean. Oh, yes. Still protect the people, uh but don't have the negative aspect of assuming Mm. their intentions. I think I I would tend to feel negative about their intentions from my perspective. If they're amputating the limbs of my crew and reattaching them, they're replacing somebody's blood and somebody dies. I would tend to feel negatively about that until I would know better about their intentions because they're, they're committing harm. Maybe from their perspective, it's not harm, but I don't know that. Right. I they're don't know that. They're trying to bring us our two we don't. civilizations together. Uh, they want us to be with them. The oh, you, yes. you, guys, you guys are just taking it to the extreme now. Just, <laughs> I, no, no. no. <laughs> 
Joe and I are right. <laughs> Kimberly and I are right. Okay. Okay. Um, Amy, when are we starting our spinoff podcast? <laughs> right. What's the spinoff <laughs> podcast called? Like, uh, like, no matter what happens to me, the intentions are benign. <laughs> but like an even more amazing version of Earl Grey without Justin. Ooh. And it was quite a long name. We might come up with an acronym for it. We're going to move in to the main part of the episode. We are um, coming back to our series on serialised TNG. And this time we're going to be talking about the fan collective um, episodes that included Q. So we're going to talk about eight TNG episodes or ten, if you count the two-parters as being two. Uh, encounter at Farpoint, Hiding Q, Q Who, Deja Q, Cupid, True Q, Tapestry, and All Good Things. And Tapestry and All Good Things obviously don't have the name Q in them. And neither does Encounter at Farpoint. Neither does Advocate at Farpoint. Yeah, I just noticed that. Yeah, here. there's like five in a row that have Q in the name and the others don't. Which is interesting because when you watch the episode, the episode name doesn't come up until after the, after the opening teaser, yeah. credits. So... It would kind of spoil it in a way if you'd seen the name and you would know it's about Q. Rather than uh, like wondering, oh, what's this cold opening about? What's causing whatever hap- to happen? Does that make sense? That, that makes sense. And that may be why, at least in the case of All Good Things, they didn't put Q in the title because Q doesn't come in for a bit. Till well after the opening credits, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the first episode, which was the pilot of TNG, Encounter at Farpoint. Uh, I know we did speak about this uh, two weeks ago with April Taylor, when we were talking about First Contacts. Yeah, Um, we were talking about First Contacts, and we highlighted Encounter at Farpoint as having numerous examples of First Contacts. But specifically, let's talk about our first contact with the entity known as Q. Amy. Yeah, um, this was a very interesting um, spin because Q was added, you know, when they decided that the the opening episode needed to be extended. And so we have this introduction of Q, which I absolutely love and sets up the entire seven series or seven seasons of the series. And what I love about Encounter at Farpoint and in watching these episodes, like Picard always goes back to and makes reference to Encounter at Farpoint. Well, Q, you put us on trial for all of humanity. And that comes up quite a bit. And so it's always going back to the beginning and how it all started and how he was judge executioner and jury or whatever those three words are. So um, I love... Um, you know, how he takes us back to, oh, I can't remember which century where those trials were. It was the 21st century. 21st, yeah. Um, and, you know, with the big bell, I mean, everything was just so spectacular. And that goes through all the rest of the uh, episodes as well, as Q has to make this huge, spectacular this entire production whenever he comes on board, you know, whether it's his costumes and, you know, his ideas and stuff. So I just think Encounter at Farpoint sets up Q perfectly and they remain true to who Q is and who is introduced to it at this episode. 
Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting to look at it in this way, just like isolate out the Q episodes together, because I think when you do that, you do see like that it is pretty strongly serialized, like one kind of leads into the other and they almost make an assumption that you kind of have an idea where what happened with Q before. And you also see kind of a journey for Q, like as we go through these. So the first one, Encounter at Farpoint, you see him, he's a bit mysterious at first, but he's this omnipotent entity, he's putting humanity on trial. And then at the end of it, they kind of pass the trial. But then, of course, in all good things, we find out the trial never really ended. But, you know, the, but it, it all springs from that. And you see what happens. And there's quite a bit that happens with the character of Q. Like, yes, he's omnipotent. Yes, he's dramatic and has this flair for things. And he's kind of, you know, haughty and arrogant and all of that. But at various points, you do see a bit more into who he is and what motivates him. So, that's what I found really interesting across these episodes, you do get to find out a lot. He's not just some omnipotent trickster. There's some, it seems like very like human needs and motivations going on sometimes. So that's, that was interesting in thinking about all these. I think it's really an interesting introduction into, into Q because throughout the eight episodes, we see kind of different aspects and different facets of him and different, he demonstrates different behaviors. So this one, he, he is a bit like the omnipotent trickster, um, but it's like it's like he's found something that he's intrigued by in the universe, and he wants to investigate it. Um, and that is the crew, or humanity and the crew of the Enterprise, and he's got this kind of seven year long fascination with what humanity is and why he thinks it is special. And it's al- it's almost like he has them in like a laboratory and he's doing experiments on them, right? Absolutely. Well, you could imagine that the the whole seven years of TNG is just Q's lab watching watching the crew do. And for do. all we know, even outside of these eight episodes, he's influencing events and watching. Right? Maybe that's why such unusual things happen to the Enterprise D. And that is true. That is why this the whole show is bookended with two Q episodes. And you said it earlier, Justin, that. Um, the trial never ended. The trial that started in Counter Farpoint continued into all good things for its conclusion. So I think was that were all one hundred and seventy nine episodes just right? A, and is and is it a, a and is it possible even though we don't see him in the movies that he's still manipulating things and seeing what happens because he doesn't like close the book on this observation and all good things. It's kind of going to continue, right? So maybe he is doing that in the in the background. Well, and I like that idea of this laboratory because in Hide and Q, he literally takes them, you know, into this foreign environment. And what I loved about the first, you know, three, I mean, well, all of them is that it's, we're investigating humanity through Q's perspective and how he views humanity. And I was just really overcome in Hide and Q, how hopeful and almost a little scared of humanity because of the great potential that we have. And I was just watching that and going, oh my gosh, this is, again, another reason why I love Star Trek is because we are so hopeful in our future and what we can do and what we can accomplish that even the Q continuum 
is a maybe a little scared and shaky leaf over the power and what we can become. And I, it, it shows through in each of the episodes because especially the first three, you know, Q specifically says, you don't know, and was talking to Riker and Hyde and Q, you don't know your power and, and what humanity can become. And I love that idea that we really get to see that. And that's what, you know, endears Q to us and sort of keeps a watchful eye on what we're doing. Yeah. And you mentioned Hyde and Q. I want to talk about that one a little bit because I hadn't rewatched it for a while. And it was really interesting just to to think about it happening right after Encounter at Farpoint. Okay, so they've, there's been this trial and humanity has kind of passed, but, you know, Q's still going to be watching. And then you come back, it's just, you know, what, eight episodes later or something like that. And Q's like, okay, we see something in you. And like you said, it seems like they're almost afraid of it. Like you could grow to become like the Q or even beyond us. And I was just like, wow, that's quite an idea. If ever in Star Trek, they take that further, right? Like maybe some centuries from now, they'll be like the Q. But like hide and Q is really interesting because just having this test to see if Riker and the Q powers will work out. Of course, it, it doesn't. But and it seems like at the end, Q's kind of like failed in his mission and is taken back. But but yeah, just that whole idea is just kind of startling that humanity could actually surpass the Q, which we think of these omnipotent beings that can do anything, right? That really struck me this time. Would the, the Q not then being way more powerful than us just now, not then put a stop to that if they were scared of our potential to be even more powerful than them? But, but I think that what Q talks about in Hide and Q is that there's a certain aspect of humanity for growth that they're really interested in and that they kind of want to study and maybe take advantage of. And you get the hint, I think, this is the first time they talk about the continuum, really, but you get the hint that there's something that's become stale. And actually, like, if I'm going to go like way past these TNG episodes into something like Death Wish in Voyager, like you actually find there that things are have gotten really like tedious, right? And it's really like there's there's no growth or anything that's happening. So they kind of see that going on and they're wanting to not put a stop to what humanity is doing, but like study it and observe it and try to figure out how maybe they can take advantage of it to move beyond what they are because humanity has something that's that special. I mean, boy, it sure makes us as humans watching the episode feel special, doesn't it? These omnipotent beings are saying we have something they want. Ooh, you know, so, but, but it's such an interesting idea to think that humanity could go like even beyond that. Mm. It's quite a common theme in sci-fi. Obviously they do, they do it um, in Hidden Cube with Star Trek, the idea that humans, I think maybe because we're the most like technologically advanced species on earth that we know about, um, that we have some kind of special potential um, and we can grow into something that's much greater than the sum of our parts. Babylon 5 did it in the final episode where it, it jumps yet. to a mill. A mil- oh, okay, don't spoil no, it. So I won't spoil that. <laughs> um, Stargate did it with the identification that the humanity was the fifth race. And there were four ancient races that were super powerful. Joe dropped and humanity spoilers. was going to going to go on. And are you guys going to watch Stargate? I, I mean, probably watch. I only ever watch Star, Star Trek. You know, I tried watching Babylon Five, but I I got through to partway through the second season and uh, wasn't and that that's into the problem. it. Yeah, 
That's a problem because like seasons three and four specifically are really strong. I know, but like it's this it's the same thing with Star Trek where people talk about like, oh, TNG, it gets really strong in season three. I love a lot of seasons one and two, right? And that kept me going toward the things that are like, and sorry, people who love Babylon 5 out there. I know there are a lot of you, but like it wasn't season one and then partway into season two wasn't doing it for me for Babylon 5 in the way that TNG does. So even in the first couple seasons. <laughs> yeah. And I loved going back and watching these. And and that was, again, just sort of that hope because I mean, Joe, you're right. There are a lot of sci-fi that, you know, has this idea and the hope, but there sure is a lot of dystopia out there in sci-fi. And, you know, especially these first few in these early seasons, it was like, Oh yes, we are so hopeful. Um, Another theme that I really liked with Hyde and Q that were introduced is giving Riker the power, you know, and we see that, you know, sort of go through the the theme of these episodes as well, especially in true Q. And it's like, you know, it's interesting where Riker gets the power and thinks that he can do some good and then tries to fulfill everyone's wishes. But in the back of everyone's mind, including his, he knows it's just a facade and that that's not reality. And so it's interesting to see that dichotomy between having this power and then using it properly. And what is properly? Is that still reality or not? Yeah. And I just want to take a moment to pay tribute to Riker's like Q powers move, which seems to be just like putting his arm up really high. (laughs) does it it's not snapping his fingers or anything he's just like ah so i kind of love that but did each q actor like in all their in all their appearances not have a different power a different way of doing it yeah i think possibly and yeah i I think so but I, i just found rikers to be really dramatic but like that idea that they're willing to temporarily give riker q powers means that in some ways, they're kind of desperate to get a hold of this thing that humanity has, right? Because that's that's granting a lot of power. Is his power equal to the other Q at that point? Could he, if he wanted to, just like banish them somewhere else or do something? Is it a risk? Or are his like bigger powers not quite as much as the others? <laughs> yeah, could uh, an omnipotent power destroy another omnipotent power? I, it's a good question. Um, they actually, okay, they talk about it in the, no- in the novels a little bit, Q Continuum, where there are different, like, um, variations, and some omnipotent beings have more power than others, which is weird. But some infinities are bigger than others, right, Joe? So, I said numbers, oh, thank Or Amy, I sorry. I should say Amy. I was thinking science, yes. but math, yes. So, anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't know, but I just think it's a, it just shows that it's somehow at this early stage, they're kind of desperate to get a hold of what humanity has. They're willing to give Riker all this power. I think Jonathan Frakes plays it really well, going from Commander Riker to omnipotent Commander Riker. He instantly goes from somebody that you, you quite like to being a complete idiot, and you instantly... I don't know, He's really like full of himself, right? Yeah, and it's a... Uh, he is quite cocky and confident, but it's uh, an endearing quality that he has. And then it just becomes a bit abrasive and you're just too full I think the way Jonathan Frakes plays it, even his chin is like a little higher. Like he has to like look down on them a little bit. So 
is is about yeah. Earth. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, and, and hide and cue usually isn't an intro, uh, an episode that I think of as like a big favorite, but there was a lot of interesting stuff going on when I rewatched it this time. It, yeah, I really like the philosophy of it. Mm-hmm. The only thing that kind of slightly annoys me is the the planetary set. The was planet hell set. It, it reminds me. Yeah, very original series. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, like yeah. primary colored sky, like it's a green sky and like purple rocks. And, and I think I noticed this time, you know how like in TOS, there, there's always this certain like musical thing that's going on when they're on the planet. It's almost like this hum or drone that actually started out in the cage. There's kind of a variation of that in this episode. It's a little bit more in the background and the tone's a little bit different, but it's the same kind of feeling as like being in the original series, I felt like. So, but yeah, early in, Early in TNG, like a lot of those planet sets were pretty similar to TOS. So that may be a little distracting. But like the actual philosophy and the the stuff they're talking about is pretty interesting. So does that count for our discussion of hiding here? Yeah, because so. yeah, we just segued yes. flawlessly. So smoothly. That was me. <laughs> so smooth. So let's talk about the third episode that Q made an appearance and and that is Q Who. So again, going with this episode, what I like about it is that, so now we have Encounter at Farpoint and Hide and Q. And so, you know, talking about Q's fascination, it's like, okay, yes, they the Q continuum knows that humanity could become great things and even more powerful than they. And so I like this, that it's like, all right, we see you, humanity, and you think that you're out all exploring and being all that. Well, let me show you something. Let me show you something to humble you, to prepare you to, you know, and I love that even though it's mean, but it does, it changes the course of Starfleet and its preparation for meeting the Borg. And so I like that aspect that Q brings to his overall arc. I think to say he's mean um, as doesn't do it justice. I think this is the first time we see him do something that's truly malevolent. And where and where people permanently die, it's the first time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I think I mentioned it on the first contacts episode with April that he brings about the events of the best of both worlds. And the destruction of the the Starfleet vessels that were there, and the how many thousand forty thousand people that were killed. Here's the problem. thing I was thinking about, like as we're thinking about like this whole arc of of what's happening. So an encounter at Farpoint, you know, the, it's the first contact with Q. He wants to test them. They pass the test. Hide and Q. It's okay. You've passed the test. There's something really interesting that we want to integrate. So let's. We have our eye on Riker. Let's give him the power to see if we can take advantage of that aspect of growth. That doesn't happen. But then in Q Who, it's kind of weird. Like, I think you could see it two ways. You could see it the way that you're talking about, Joe, where like, this is really cruel. You didn't need to do that. 18 people died here. 11,000 die in best of both worlds. People die in first contact and avoid blah, 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 blah. All this stuff, right, that happens because of that action. Or actually, there's now that I think of it, there's two other ways you could see it. One way is that it's a selfish thing that's being done because Q wants to warn them of what's out there so they have some time to prepare. And in that way, they don't get annihilated because selfishly they want to take advantage of something in humanity for their own growth. Or maybe it it's for it's something that's 
also he's pushing this in front of them so they don't get annihilated as a selfless thing because he doesn't want to see them get destroyed. But I, I think like if they had met the Borg like somewhat later and had absolutely no preparation, maybe it would have gone worse and they would have been wiped out. At least with Q who they have this, you know, year and a half or whatever it is to have some kind of analysis, some kind of preparation to be able to meet that threat and not get annihilated. That I'm just saying that's one way you could see it. I think in Q who they would have been annihilated if it wasn't for Picard asking for help. Well, that's just one ship. I'm talking about the entire Federation getting annihilated. Is Q preventing right. that because now yeah, they have a lead time? <laughs> being completely assimilated. Yeah, Justin, I love that twist and I like it a lot. And it does make sense with Q's fascination with humanity. And yeah, we we knew that the timeline was now upped. Like we would have eventually met the Borg. Um, it just was moved up because of Q who. I don't know if, I think the Federation and Starfleet are perfectly well aware that they've been exploring the galaxy for, what, 200 years now and more, um, and they've encountered hundreds of other civilizations, um, so they know that the potential's there for meeting that. But, but Q's point is you've never seen away. anything like the Borg in all of your explorations, that's his point. This is this is different. This is a taste of what's out there. Yeah, because it's like in your arrogance, you think the Romulans, the Klingons, you think that's tough. You know, you have but, no. But idea how about this? Tough. An adversary that you can't talk to, can't negotiate with. Yep. That, what do you do then? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, good one. I always wanted to see uh, a board cube fight the Voth city ship from Voyager. I think the void. They've, I don't. I've never seen a Borg cube transport a starship, like teleport a starship, and the Voth beamed Voyager inside its cargo hold. So they're pretty powerful. So, other thing was, what is the point of Ensign Gomez in this episode? Oh, she's cute. I, no, well, she seems to serve no purpose. Okay. Joe, <laughs> let me talk about this for a minute yeah. for a couple of reasons. Okay. So, so Gomez, I know like she spills the hot chocolate on Picard and all that, but, but she does serve later. I think when she's talking w- with Jordy and she's really shaken, like these 18 people have died. I think it helps to bring home some of the impact of it. Whereas, you know, you hear about, you see the, the section, you know, carved off, but I don't know if it becomes real until maybe you see her reaction. And I think like Gomez is an interesting character because, um, you know, she's, she's somebody I'm trying to remember if they mentioned whether she was new on the ship or something, but it's just like a different perspective, like somebody who's actually rattled by what's going on, which we would, I think. Um, and also, um, do you see, I think Gomez is in one other episode, right? Am I remembering that right? Anyway, but, but also like I, I'm currently reading, like the entire series of Starfleet Corps of Engineers novels where Gomez is like an important character as like a first officer in the head of this like Corps of Engineers team. And she's a great character, but maybe it's just because I've come to love it more, her character more through that. But I, I think it just kind of humanizes what's actually happened in that scene with her. Okay. Yes, she was in the episode Samaritan okay, Snare. That's right. Where George was captured by the pack. That's right. So, can we also talk about uh, the interaction that we have with Guinan and the Q continuum? That has always 
I've been so curious about it because we just don't get any information and like why Q is scared of her. It's not like she has powers. She so must have some I kind of power. What is that? What kind of power? The, yeah, the kind this. that can come out of your hands. <laughs> no, she doesn't have any powers like that, but there's something about her species that, you know, Q feels threatened or, and is put in his place. Like he stays back. He doesn't. Maybe it's like her species kind of, uh, knows what the QR and what they do and has actually interfered in some of their plans somehow before. I mean, yes, the Q are omnipotent beings, but I mean, clearly like Picard and the crew can influence or mess with their plans sometimes. So maybe Guinan species are the same. I don't know. Yeah, Guinan's just so enigmatic, isn't she? You're given little tasters of what what she is and she just appears human and she's essentially just works in a bar but she's got such a, a long life and then we find out that she's got this um, history with Picard and she knows about the Borg and she knows about the Q and but we're not really told why or how or what so we're left asking all these questions yes. which is why we're let's answer some of those questions in the Picard series right <laughs> now yeah. And we'd like to welcome our special guest, Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> ah, amazing. Uh, so, shall we move on and talk about the fourth episode, which is in the outline, and that is Deja Q. Yep. Amy, you've been going first all this time, so please go first. Um, okay, so what I love about Deja Q is, again, this fact that they can manipulate who has powers and who doesn't, right? Like that's, they are definitely in control. And we learn that here. And we see that, you know, again, come up with true, true Q. Like, okay, he's done something wrong. And so now he's going to get punished. So there is some kind of justice and, you know, moral code that the Q continuum is having. And I'd like to see that development as we go through these eight episodes. And it shows up first here. Um, and again, we get to see Q's development of really understanding the menial tasks that humans have to go through. And it's just hilarious. I absolutely love it. But that crux of the episode is understanding what it is that humanity has of that self-sacrifice. And so it just makes it a wonderful episode and we get Corbin Burnson. So. Yeah. And that's the first time that we see another person play Q. That's right. So we've got two discussion points with Q yeah. and Q2. Corbin Benson's Q. <laughs> yeah. Q2, which I think was his, that's his, the, the way his name's listed on memory yeah. alpha. Yeah. Q2. So yeah, th this one is, is really interesting because again, like as we've gone through it, we've always seen before that Q is omnipotent and has his power. Suddenly he's stripped of his powers and it is a really funny episode because you know, it's, I know people have different opinions of Q, but I I, I love Q. Um, but you've seen him be really odd, arrogant and haughty. And like in this episode, he gets that like turned around on him and people just have like all kinds of ways of, of messing with him. Like, like uh, you know, Crusher's kind of messing with him with the scan and Guinan stabs him with the fork. And, you know, they're kind of 
making fun of him and trying to ignore him in, in a way. So it's just a lot of fun. Like he's getting what's come due to him because he's, he's just been so full of himself before. But as you mentioned, Joe, we do see another cue. And part of what happens is there's this species, the calamarine that are trying to get their revenge on Q now that he doesn't have his powers. And eventually Q is like, you know what? I don't want to like hurt everyone on this ship. I'm just going to go out uh, in the shuttle and they can just kill me. I don't care. And then Q2 comes in and says, did I detect, you know, a hint of a selfless act? So, you find out for the first time, like, okay, maybe all Q aren't the same. Maybe they're not all just like full of themselves and like looking to mess with people. Maybe they do have some values we can relate to like selflessness and sacrifice and things like that. And and in that, Q seems to recognize that that's something that they, that they like. So, it really provides like more of a depth to his character and what the Q are like by kind of providing that peek in. Um, yeah. Plus it's just a hilarious episode and so many things that, that happen here. Yeah. I think through the most of the episode, he's still as arrogant as we know him to be, even though he's still human. It takes him quite a long time to lose that arrogance and kind of get some humility. And what is really interesting is that it takes data to show him that humility, the only non-human crew member uh, or non-humanoid uh, only non lie uh, yeah no he has humanoid mm, non i see yeah, non non-organic android just say the only android yeah i suppose yeah he's uh, he's he's data search to be more human um and he's the only he's the non-human character that we're most familiar with i suppose and it takes data to um show you that and i thought it was really an unusual choice that when Data's been repaired in sickbay that he couldn't speak and Q came in and gave him his wee monologue about you've shown me humility um, now I'm just going to go there's a wee there's a wee speech yeah I thought why doesn't Data say anything why was that choice made for he was still being healed yeah, but they yeah, made a specific choice that that meant that he wouldn't speak. Um, I don't know, maybe because we had to hear it from Q himself to be convinced of it. I don't know. Maybe it worked better as a monologue, yeah. Yeah, I really liked that connection that we have um, that's sort of throughout the storyline where Q really reminded me a lot of Data, you know, first season where Data's trying to figure out you know, all the oddities of humanity and we have cute, what is this hunger <laughs> in my stomach? Oh, I passed out what well, you went to sleep, you know, <laughs> and sweet. it really brought me 10 back. chocolate sundaes. Yeah. <laughs> it brought me back to, you know, data in first season. And so that little, you know, side story, uh, parallelism that I got and then to have data, you know, step up and, and I think the data recognize that commonality that they both have. It's like, yeah, we're both trying to figure out what in the heck is this humanity mean meaning. So I liked that in the storyline as well. Yeah. It is an interesting connection that they make to trying to understand humanity. I mean, and also because Q somehow doesn't realize like, Oh, I was sleeping or I'm hungry. Is that just because he doesn't have his powers and he's lost some knowledge? Or does this confirm that the Q are all powerful, but not all knowing? They don't like know everything in the universe, but they have the power to do anything they want. Well, I in this episode especially, and like how you were saying that not all Q are like the Q that we know, 
I think that Q is still in this learning phase on how to be Q himself. And that's what, you know, fascinates the Enterprise D and humanity because he's still learning. He, to me, is just like a teenager. And trust me, I see a lot of them. Um, <laughs> a teenager you know, with, it's all powerful. It's a good thing you don't yes. have that in your classroom. Sometimes they're picking on others because they don't understand. But then once they get that maturity and understanding and the breadth of what it is, yeah, you could be all powerful and this omnipotent and, but how you choose to use that, you know, and that you, and we know that there's infants and then that, that you get old, I guess old, how how do you get old? But there is still growth within the continuum. And so I see Q as sort of this teenager. And and I think it comes out that he's being scolded in this episode. Can you imagine how annoying uh, like a two-year-old Q would be? Now you see those like toddlers in supermarkets and they're having a tantrum. Uh like, well, well, we get that no, in Voyager, yeah, we get right? that in Voyager where where Q's, Q's son is like the most annoying teenager in the world because he does have all that power. I actually find it hard to watch that episode because he's so annoying. But I mean, he plays it really well. And that's also John Delancey's real life son, which is kind of cool. <laughs> it's I, I think it's actually called Q2 <laughs> in Voyager. It's it's later on six, seven season, maybe something like that. I will have seen it because I've seen yeah. all of it. I, I, I think it's actually the last time that you see John Delancey's Q, right? That episode? Um, Am I right or is there one after that? I thought there was one more, but you would know more than me. On that. Hold on. I'll have to look it up from our definitive yeah. source, Memory Alpha, which says that... I, I could look it up in this. Ooh. Yeah, it is the last one. Oh, it's okay. a season seven Justin, Voyager episode. The Star Trek it? script book, The Q Chronicles. Oh, that's yes. cool. It's got the scripts for all the Oh, kids. that's awesome. Oh, wow. Nice bedtime reading. But yeah, it is Q2. That's the last one that John Delancey's yeah. in. So far, hopefully we'll see him again. And wasn't it just so great at STLV last year? Well, I guess this year. I'm in mode. <laughs> Still 2019. Um, in August... <laughs> That's the teacher in me where it's like before school is yeah. a previous year. Um, but yeah, that we had John Delancey and Corbin Burnson, and mm-hmm. it was Corbin Burnson's first time coming to STLV and sounded like he had a great time. Um, so that was really good to see but them. Did, oh, and wasn't Amanda or the actress who played? Yeah, Olivia Dabo. Olivia yeah. Dabo. Well, and, yeah. and wasn't, uh, didn't they have something where they had like most had of the people who played Q, so they had Susie Plaxon as well? Yeah, they had the yeah, Q panel. Yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. That was really good. Just very fitting for our episode. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, let's move on and talk about the fifth episode, Cupid. Mm. Did anybody like this episode? You know what? I, like, I've had different feelings about it. I think it's 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 kind of fun. On the other hand, as I've said before, I'm not a huge fan of Vosh. And it is kind of like this Robin Hood, like, save the... Um, the damsel in distress kind of episode, which is not my favorite thing in the world. Like this is interesting because we've been talking about like the development of Q, like through these episodes and what we learn about him. And in this kind of all you learn is that I feel like there's a debt I need to pay back for what you did in Deja Q. So I need to provide something with you. Here you go. Here's this fantasy with Vosh. I mean, it, it does it really say much about his character. (laughs) Yes, it goes deeper. Okay. Tell us. So, and, and especially with what you said with Q Who, 
um, and sort of the intention on how we could look at it differently on what Q is doing and in preparing us and so that we aren't, you know, assimilated. Well, here, you know, yes, because of Deja Q, um, he does feel this debt. And what I love about this episode, and I can't believe I just used the word love because Cupid was like the bottom of the list for me. Uh, couldn't stand it. Um, but in watching all of the episodes together and understanding the story, I really came away was like, oh my gosh, this is a great episode because Q is providing Picard an insight that he himself didn't know, which I love. And I don't know if everyone's going to agree, but it's like, Picard, you have a vulnerability and you need to recognize it and so that you can fix it so that you don't become vulnerable, get hurt, whatever. So I don't know if the idea of, okay, if you are allowing your personal feelings to come in, especially with Vosh, that you are vulnerable. I don't know you can debate that whether that's good or bad, but the idea that Q is showing him something in his character that he can fix, um, I think is what, what do you give Captain Picard? That's not going to be seemed as, Oh, this is fake. This is Q. This is just, you know, his fake reality that something that Picard is actually going to use and benefit from. So I think if you look at that deeper, intention that Q has, I think it makes for very good, but yeah. I guess it says something about his personal interest in Picard, but he doesn't really even listen to what <laughs> Picard's like, I'm fine, go away, you know, but if he really wanted something, maybe it would be, you know, shore leave on a planet that he would really enjoy and where nothing bad would happen, you know, but instead it's like this dangerous adventure. Fake. This is See fake I mean? too. <laughs> no, Picard understands something about himself. That that is real. Yeah, but the the setup is fake. Like he's putting him inside. I understand that. Uh But the gift is that Picard learns something about himself. But let me just say, probably my favorite thing about this episode is Worf saying, I am not a merry man. (laughs) And then, you know, Jordy terribly playing whatever stringed instrument he has and Worf breaking it. I I love that. That There's so many good. And Troy shooting data. (laughs) Your aim is improving. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's some hilarious parts that have nothing to do with Q in this episode, but yeah, no, I think that's, I, I mean, you can tell that the crew just loves I think, being together. Like, I think that's an interesting um, way of thinking about it, but in terms of like the impact or the bigger questions, it's kind of like something happening on a smaller scale than the previous ones, right? So I think the reason I don't like it is because I've never seen what you talked about, Amy, the, there was this gift to Picard. Well, he says he wants and to give I'm a gift, sorry, but yeah. But then for me, that just seems like oh, they're going to have a wee Robin Hood style adventure. Um, but I didn't see that deeper meaning if that existed. Um, of the gift was identifying a vulnerability and allowing you yourself to fix it. That totally kind of went way over my head. Um, the only. So with my initial impression of it, I don't like it, but the three best bits are the Troy with the arrow, the, the smashing the loot, and Worf's I'm Not a Merry Man. The rest just kind of falls a bit flat. So it'll be interesting to watch it again with the the knowledge that it's potentially a gift to Picard about changing himself. Yeah. I mean, and I think they made this a Robin Hood adventure because the movie Robin Hood Prince of Thieves was going to come out in a little bit. 
so there was like this buzz about Robin Hood stuff. That's probably why they did it. But yeah, interesting to think about. I, I initially in the episode where Picard's uh, practicing his speech for the Federation Archaeological Council, I think I would much rather see something to do with that. Maybe you just want the the, the whole episode to be a forty five minute speech from Picard. <laughs> no, like um, a, an adventure in terms of his love of archaeology. Well, that's kind of what happened with Captain's Holiday. True, but it never yeah. happened with Q to have an archaeology. Yeah, because he, he is even talking about like, I can transport you back to when this this planet was, you know, sometime in their history, thousands or billions of years ago. But he doesn't. He makes a Robin Hood adventure instead. <laughs> Well, and even, I'm just going to throw it in because, you know, I love Counselor Troy, but even here we see Picard leaning on Troy's counsel and when he's asking, well, should I rearrange my talk to go in chronological or based on the the species or, you know, whatever. And, you know, she like has to encourage him. You're, you're doing fine. You've already made this decision. Go with it. So there is some strong counseling going on by Troy. By the way, I'm surprised we haven't mentioned Troy wasn't even in hide and Q, <laughs> which is really weird. Yeah, she, I noticed that at the beginning. It's like, well, Troy's off on a conference. Yeah, one of the few episodes. She's doing some professional development. Marina Sirtis isn't, isn't in. Yeah. Okay, let us talk about the next one, which is episode six on the list, and that is True Q, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the second or the third appearance for a a new Q entity in the form of Amanda Rogers. Ewan reminded me today that we met Olivia Dabo mm. in Vegas mm-hmm. this year. And I was like, did we? Yes. Really? I didn't realize she was so, there yeah. somehow. Yeah. She was on the Q panel. Oh, I, yeah, I it missed was that her panel. First time as well. Was it? Okay. Shoot. Yeah. <laughs> it was the first time we had this Q panel. It was awesome. So I really like the scene where um, they're playing hide and seek and they're on the porch at the back, between the warp nacelles. On the, the exterior. Bit. Yeah, they're standing on the hull. Yeah. Remember? So that's the porch. That's called the porch. <laughs> Is it? Do you remember? No, I know the scene. I would, I would, no, I would dramatic reading. Oh, oh the big yes. circle with the porch. <laughs> so with the porch, yes. That is the porch. See, oh, I didn't God. make that connection. Yeah, missed that. Yes. Good job, Joe. <laughs> you'll, never uns- you'll never unsee that. <laughs> Yeah, that was good because, yeah, it was like, stop thinking so human when he was in the engine warp core, you know, when, so yeah, and that, this episode really does bring out what the Q is. I mean, because now we're learning who the Q is through Amanda's, oh, is it Amanda? Amanda Rogers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Rogers. Yeah, through her eyes. So I really like this episode in terms of learning about who the Q is. Yeah, I like it a lot because it is a different perspective because you've seen John Delancey's Q and Corbin Burnson's Q. They've always been Q. They've known that. But Amanda Rogers thinks that she's human. And all of a sudden, one day, she finds out, hey, I have all of these powers. And she has to kind of try to to deal with it. And of course, there's a sinister part where the Q continuum is worried about her and might be considered killing her, right? Which is, I think this is the first one where you have an indication that a Q can die. And we find out later that her 
parents were killed in like a freak tornado on earth or something like that. And also that it's possible for Q to produce children. Um, so like it adds these different aspects to who the Q are, what's possible. But I mean, like try to even think of that, like you're growing up and you're like, yeah, I'm a human and I know this and that. And all of a sudden somebody comes to you and proves to you that you can be all powerful. Like, and for her, it's kind of like suddenly manifesting. It's like, that would be a big shock, wouldn't it? If everything you thought you ever knew about yourself wasn't true. <laughs> so, but I think she deals with it pretty well and she's a very likable character. And yeah, it's, I, I like it a lot. It's a super interesting episode just to explore more of what the QR and what this person's experience is. I see a lot of parallels with The Wizard of Oz and I don't know if it was intentional because you've got this young girl and I don't know if it was intentional that they made her up to look really innocent. So she's got her wee pink dress on, she's got her beauty spot, she's blonde hair's all perfectly coiffed um, and she's, so she's got this innocence about her and then she is kind of propelled into this She's got this internship on the flagship of Starfleet um, and she's discovered she's a Q, so she's been transported to Oz, if you like. And then it turns out our parents were killed by... A tornado, tornado. right? Yeah. So she is, she is essentially Dorothy. There was no tornado that carried her to Oz. She just ended up with these really fantastical um, things happening to her throughout the episode. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's... it's um it's really interesting. I was looking on Memory Alpha to see if there was some explicit connection with The Wizard of Oz. It doesn't mention one. But also, it, it says what the working title of this episode was. It was originally going to be called Cue Me, with the question mark at the end. That might have been cute, but cute. But, um, yeah. No, I, th- I think it's... <laughs> cute, Q-U-T-E, yeah, cute. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I like it a lot uh, as just an exploration of what is possible and the things that the Q need to do and that they can, you know, kill other Q and be vengeful. It's it's giving them... Like, it, it seems like with each episode, it gives them a bit more human qualities, right? And they're not as, like, aloof and totally alien, but we can relate to this stuff, like revenge and things like that. It's like, oh, that sounds very human, Yeah. Well, yeah, in this episode, again, Picard reference encounter at Farpoint. And, um, but it's like we need to give her the choice because she knows what humanity is. And then you're going to come in and, you know, have this Q continuum. Like she, I think, recognizes what humanity is. And I think this is such a really good. Beverly episode, which I think gets overlooked because she is an amazing mother figure and just totally supports and explains to Amanda all these different things and emotions. And we learn so much more about Beverly because when Amanda asks her, well, if you had these powers, what would you do? And would you bring Jack back? And it's like serious emotions that and conversation that she's having with Amanda to help her to come up with these decisions and going to dinner with her, with Troy. And I think Picard's speech in his ready room that it's like, this is humanity. And she is now losing that because you've just said like, she needs to know the truth about what happened and what are the possibilities. She needs to have those facts in order to make the best decision for her. So. Yeah. That's a really good point about Beverly. She does have an important role in 
kind of helping Amanda to deal with the situation. And also, she has to be really patient because Q turns her into a dog, which is a super rude thing to do, right? <laughs> like, oh my God. So, but yeah, that that's that's quite true. And and I think it is interesting the way they leave the episode is like, okay, you're a Q and you're just going to go along that way. You can't really be on the ship anymore. So, Well, and it goes back to, oh, sorry, Joe, goes back to hide and Q where... Riker has the powers and Picard warns him, well, you need to be careful. Like this is this power. What is it going to do for you? Can you be on the ship and not use the power? And we see that that doesn't happen. And we see it again here with Amanda not being able to, you know, not save the planet. Right. Except unlike in, in Riker's case where he's suddenly given the powers and for Amanda, like this is kind of actually like a natural part of her development. It's like, she can't deny it, but Riker can be like, no, thanks. You know, I didn't have it a few hours ago, so I'm good (laughs) and we can move along. But yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. And, and I think it's a shame that she didn't show up later, Amanda. I think that would have been pretty interesting. I think Star Trek does that a lot with aliens that we see first time. They seem really mysterious. We don't know much about them, but the more, we see them, like specifically with the Q. We identify those parts of them that we see in ourselves. We learn how to identify the humanity in them. Um, a bit like the Borg. The Borg are really terrifying initially. And then as you go through Voyager, they're, they're still really powerful and the stakes are high. But you see the Borg in Unimatrix Zero and they are they are not assimilated anymore. So we identify that the the good things about them rather than just being unknown. I like that because that's kind of a hopeful view that no matter how strange or alien something or someone may seem, that there's always a possibility, at least over time, to connect or understand in some way. Okay, well, shall we move on and talk about Tapestry? Which is another episode I'd really, really, really enjoy. Because we get that backstory about Picard. um, And we see initially that he's essentially dead because you don't know what's happening. And then Worf's carrying him and puts him on the bio bed. And then Worf makes a mistake with the script. Uh, Crusher asks, what type of weapon was it? And Worf says it was a a, a compressed Terion weapon. Mm-hmm. What it's supposed to be, Tetrion. Yeah. Oh, he missed it the second T. Oh, dear. I rewound it and I was like, oh, I saw. <laughs> well, have to let Michael Thorne know. <laughs> no, well, I'll tweet him later. Okay. Um, no, I like Tapestry again because it sort of goes back to Cupid and giving Picard a gift that he learns about himself and sort of that we all can learn. Like what's going to happen if we make a different decision and that our past helps build our character and who we are. I mean, it's tapestry is, is a brilliant, brilliant, so well done on every level. I, I love it. But I, it, you know, if we look at Cupid as giving a gift and here, this is this gift that Q is giving Picard. Yeah, no, I mean, it is a really great episode. And as I think, I mean, there's some stuff that that's pretty funny in it. Like I, I always like it at the beginning when Q is basically saying you're dead and I'm God that Picard says, no, I'm not dead because I refuse to believe the afterlife is run by you. The universe is not so badly designed. So, you see like this, this interaction 
between them and and Picard, I think a lot of times is not too happy to see Q because he's going to mess with things. So, I mean, I think, Amy, you could see it as a continuation of like his specific interest in Picard. But I'm thinking maybe he also has a specific interest in Picard because Picard is an interesting, not interesting, because Picard is such an important figure in the 24th century. And you could maybe even see in like the history of of humanity in a way with all of the things that he is doing, different times he saves Earth and things like that. So if we go back to what we were thinking about before, where the the Q are in Hyden Q, he was saying that humanity has this potential for growth that they're really interested in, they may surpass the cue. So I think he's doing something again to preserve someone who is important for the preservation of humanity as a whole, because they still want to take advantage of that, or they have a special interest in it. So I see it as like the smaller thing where he wants to do something specifically for Picard because he likes him, but also the larger thing, because he can see that Picard is an important figure in the future of humanity and he can't let him die. I think in this one we see Q and it seems to be that he needs Picard or he needs humanity and there's some kind of aspect of this friendship between them or he sees Picard as a... Frenemyship? <laughs> or a friend. Yeah, but it's it's less antagonistic, isn't mm. it? It's less, he's less of a trickster. He's, I don't know, there's something about his behaviour. And the fact that he lets Picard see that if you change this decision in your past, then you will no longer be the man that you are today. And you'll be that, what is he, a junior lieutenant in astrophysics and his life just seems really sad. Yeah, I mean, and and also, like with a lot of the previous encounters, Picard has been annoyed or angry or hostile toward Q. But he actually recognizes at the end of this that, that well, I mean, Q has kind of saved his life. I guess you could interpret it that way or that he's done him a favor so that he could see what was really important in his life, what an impact. So he's given this kind of actually more meaningful gift than what he got in Cupid, right? To to see himself in a, in a new light and that can affect how he sees himself afterwards. So I think, you know, in this one and, and going into all good things, it's Q I think becomes a little more benevolent and, Picard can see that he is actually trying to help him in his own way, which is a shift from before, right? So, did Q save Picard from the the Tetrion beam damage, or did Crusher save him? Crusher. Are you sure? Because I don't, I don't... Why not? Because everybody was in the same position when Picard woke up laughing. And nobody had moved. There was no new devices. There was oh, no I see what you're saying. Surgery right. potentially being done. So, like he just woke up from his his. I've often thing. interpreted it as he was going to die, and and Q actually made it happen that he didn't, and he would have died otherwise if he hadn't intervened. That's the way I've thought of it, but it could be a different way. I think they leave it a bit open. Yeah, a bit ambiguous. Okay, Amy, what were you going to say? Well, in looking. Like, as you said, looking forward to all good things and sort of this Q and how Q is and how he's interacting with the crew um, sort of goes to tapestry, like Q giving him this gift and understanding that it's like he's broadening, you know, Picard and our minds into what is possible and 
and what progression we could make and what we have made because of our past and, and what we can become. I think tapestry just feeds right into all good things, you know, when, when he's like, you know, think bigger, you know? Um, so yeah, I like that idea that Q is giving him this gift and expanding his, his mind. Mm -hmm. Q is the mind expanding drug <laughs> in a way. Cool. Okay, let's talk about the last one, which we've mentioned a couple of times before, and it is the, the finale of our beloved TNG, and that is All Good Things, which brings Next Generation's Q-Cycle to um, completion. Amy, since you started first, you can go first. Oh, well, again, it's just, again, this perfect bookend to Q's story, like I said, for on TNG, obviously continues in DS9 and Voyager, but... <clears throat> the DS9 episode had already happened, actually, by this point. Oh. Yeah. Well, okay. But it continues in Voyager, so yeah. corrected. No, no, it, <laughs> but it's not the end of it for Q, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying, that it's not. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, it bookends, you know, with Encounter at Farpoint and all good things. So with that bookend, because we get the trial and with Q's interaction with the crew, with, you know, Riker and specifically Picard, and then we get, again, Tapestry leading into all good things where Q is taking Picard and putting him in this fake... You know, just something to help Picard understand the past, present, and future in hopes that he can expand his mind, in hopes to sort of guide humanity. Like you said, as we learned in Encounter at Hide and Q, like we have this potential and this is the first stepping stone. Well, not the first. I mean, it's obviously the eighth stepping stone in getting us to expand what we know and think non-linearly and, you know, just through the, don't think of time this way. Don't think of space this way. What can we really do again, bringing back the hope that we had in those first few episodes. I just love all good things for that. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it, yeah, it is interesting to think about and, and always when I've watched all good things, I've thought, okay, Q is kind of providing this puzzle or this paradox that's much harder to solve than what was happening at Encounter at Farpoint. But a lot of times along the way, he's giving him like hints and nudges and answering questions and things. I mean, he wants him to succeed, right? He he wants him to get to that point where he, he says like for a fraction of a second, you considered things you hadn't considered possible. So, it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about. It's funny how Hyde and Q becomes such like an important touchstone in all of this, but when Q was talking about their, you know, that that humanity could grow beyond them and and become really powerful, it's almost like for a fraction of a second, Picard was almost like a Q in that, in making the connections and making and and the understanding, and that's just like part of the journey because you know he'll be watching and you know if you're very lucky you might see me out there, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it, it it is totally interesting, and I mean of course they. He definitely references Encounter at Farpoint because Picard is like, does this have any connection to what was happening seven years ago? And he said, I'd have to say yes. You know, so so it it it's it's like that trial never really ended. It was open-ended and they hadn't reached a verdict and he says for a while they're guilty. But but like it, it is such an interesting progression from 
the first episode encounter at Farpoint where Q was like, you're savages, you need to go no further, to Q being like a mentor and encouraging him to like expand the boundaries of what he can think is possible. It's such a shift over seven years, isn't it? So, yeah, like sort of going back to true Q where he, you know, the Q continuum sends Q to, you know, help Amanda Rogers to realize who she is. Otherwise, she's going to, you know, be killed um, the, to progress her and to teach her and to, you know, be her mentor. And we see Q take that role on with the Enterprise you know, D crew and with humanity, he's, he is mentoring, like going back to Q who, well, you need to prepare for this. Well, you need to open your mind for this. You need to recognize your vulnerabilities in this all because we can progress. And like you said, just in the beginning, like what is the Q's motivation? Because are they fearing us or are they trying to learn and gain something that we have to integrate into their society? Like it's so complex and to put them all together is so beautiful. And talking about Q as a mentor, that actually uh, gets me to think about something I've seen a few people talking about uh, for the Picard series, which is the possibility that somehow... Picard will, would become a Q at some point. I don't know if I'd like to see that, but in some ways that would actually fit in with what we've been talking about where they see something special in humanity they want to learn from. They even made Riker a Q for a bit and, and in a way in all good things, Q was kind of like pushing Picard along and mentoring him to expand his mind. But I, I don't know, I, I guess in thinking about this, that might fit in, although I'm not sure if I'd want to see that. You don't think so? It's a gift Picard would accept, necessarily. Yeah. You've been too much of a pain in my ass to accept that. It's <laughs> <laughs> mine. <laughs> so, I'm trying to understand the, the kind of... If it wasn't for Q, would this episode have happened? What, all good things? Terms, oh, yeah. So, it was the Enterprise D in the future with their scanning the... Mm -hmm. Devron system that caused the anti-time anomaly. Yeah, that grew I bigger. don't think so. that it that it would because it's like that's he's like transported the kind of present Picard in uh, in you know season seven of TNG into the future and the, and transporting him back and forth. So I think it doesn't really happen. And and there's really like when that anomaly is closed, there's kind of no. Uh, no real evidence that it happened except in Picard's mind. So Q is kind of like, he has the memories of it, but, or Picard does, but I don't think that it really happens, but somehow the stakes are real. I don't know. I don't think that Q would have allowed, you know, <laughs> the entire galaxy to basically be swallowed up, but it's a good question. Mm, yeah, because if it wasn't for Q, then the episode wouldn't have happened. So it was basically just another, another test, really. mentoring session for, yeah, um, see if you can solve this. And I want to see what you learn. And I mean, plus Q's on. nostalgic. He wants to look over and reflect on seven years of TNG also, right? <laughs> yeah, and he's not going to let the TV show finish without actually being part of the yeah. final episode when he was in the first one. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I were a Q, I would do that. I mean, he, he had the power to put it in the writer's head, so. 
<laughs> yeah, true. Cool. Okay, let's move on to our final thoughts because that was a really interesting discussion. Uh, so, Justin, do you want to go first with your final thoughts? Sure. I mean, like, it's interesting because in a way I feel like we've already been talking about our final thoughts for a while because we've been making these connections among all these episodes. And I think, you know, we've, we've done the different, you know, serialized TNG parts where we talked about the, we talked about the Klingon episodes for the first one, right? And then we did the crossover with Standard Orbit to talk about the alternate universe episodes. But like these, you can watch like these eight slash 10 episodes like together and really see it as like a serialized thread. Like if you wanted, this could be like a Q season (laughs) that you watch. And, and because it all one flows right, right into the other in a way like, Oh yeah, we've been away for a little bit, but here's Q again and here's what's happening and here's the consequences from last time. So I feel like they're very interconnected and it really tells us something about kind of who Q is, who the Q continuum is uh, that he's kind of, they've changed from thinking of humanity as, you know, savages that shouldn't explore further to ones that they want to encourage and see where they can go. And maybe they'll be even more powerful than they are. Um, And, and there's just a lot of really great character stuff that goes on in these episodes, not only for Q, but for, you know, Picard and Riker and other characters and, and there's humor. So like there, there's just, a real range of like some of the best stuff in the next generation, I think in these episodes. So, and they are really like connected together in a way that you don't often see in TNG. So I enjoyed it. Cool. Amy. Yeah. Listeners watching these one right after the other absolutely makes this serialized TNG and much more. So I agree with you, Justin, than the other, you know, fan collective sets that we've gone over, like you really get to see the progression of Q, the Q continuum of humanity, this hope that there is like, I came away from watching these just so enamored with Q right now. Um, And again, seeing them one right after another, the story flows so well. It's like no time has passed. And, you know, when going through, I'm like, man, that was like a whole season ago or season and a half ago. You know, there was a pretty big gap there. Um, So really seeing this makes me appreciate Q and humanity and the whole storyline that is thread seamlessly throughout the seven series. And and you're right. This is like a little mini series listeners, just watch them all one right after another. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story. I'm so glad that we, we were able to do this and see the serialized nature in TNG. It's amazing. You think there was some, that it was all planned out initially because it is so, it just totally makes sense. These eight, slash 10 episodes um, tell this story and the evolution of Q and it just all comes together. And you think, did they have that foresight back when they f- wrote Encounter at Farpoint or did it was it, did it just evolve as they saw what the character of well, Q Well, I, I think offer? the answer was almost certainly not because they were really just thinking ahead, you know, toward the episodes that they need to write. Because they're making episodic TV. They weren't thinking like, well, seven years from now, Q will be... But but I think what ended up happening was it ended up being connected in hindsight, right? So, they made Encounter at Farpoint, and then they were like, oh, that Q thing worked out pretty well. Let's do another one. And then for Hide and Q, they were like, okay, looking back at Encounter at Farpoint, 
how can we move that forward? And I think they just did that for each episode where they just look back at the previous ones. But it feels like, you know, it was kind of planned out that way, especially when you get to all good things. I mean, the way they tie it together, it definitely feels, you know, planned out. Pretty seamless. Um, I was going to say also that you, I've said it before, but you know, like from my entire history of watching Star Trek, I've been almost a a passive viewer, a non-analytical viewer, but with podcasting. So you could watch all of TNG and have a view on it and you could enjoy it. But then you talk to you guys and you're like, like, am I kind of partially brain dead and missed half the details of the episode? So it's always really interesting to then go back and rewatch things you've just talked about and then you see them in a total different light. You pick up all these little details that you might otherwise have missed. So, yeah, really interesting conversation. And I love Q even more than I did before um, because of this kind of seamless, organised evolution that he went through, through the, I'm going to call it 10 episodes that he was in. Let's call it 10. So, yeah, thanks, guys. That was That was much fun. Amy, you have a preview of next week's episode. Would you like to give us that? Yes. Well, unfortunately, Justin will not be with us. And so we are going <laughs> make to make it seem like I'm, I'm going to die. He's <laughs> not going to be with <laughs> oh, us. No, no, no. <laughs> no, Justin's. <laughs> no, he's just not going to be here, just which gives take, us the opportunity. Yeah. Would Justin, would you like to tell our listeners? Oh, no, no. I, I, I was just saying, I'm to. just, you know, taking a couple of weeks off. It's rare for me. Yeah. But go ahead. Right. because I took a couple of weeks yeah. off. We all do it. Yeah. But it gives us the opportunity to have guest hosts on. And as from the Babel uh, Conference feedback, uh, we have some great guests. And so we are going to have Christian Alonzo on with us. And we are going to talk about Half a Life listeners. So if you'd like to watch that episode in preparation for next week, uh, that's what we're doing. That's a great episode. And this will be the, this will be the teacher's edition. Yes, exactly. Oh, Yes. All right. Because yes. we're all educators. Yes. I think that might be a first for Earl Grey. Yeah. <laughs> so, very cool. I, I definitely look forward to, to hearing that. Well, it's been so much fun talking about Serialized Q, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here is what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, continuing mission. Why they killed that officer what they have to do with Project Perseus. Can I just can I just throw my two cents worth in and say I, I know who they are. They're Smurfs. Oh if only from the planet Smurfia. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me I'm right. <laughs> if you insist, sure, you're right. You're right. You're That's not. But I'll tell I, you. Oh no! I've ruined nice. it. I've ruined it for everybody. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's the first mystery, and then a series of other mysteries happen as it becomes clear that it, on at least one other of the visionary class ships that have now they're now well on their way outside Federation space, that there was a saboteur. Mm. Earl Grey. But he also he you know the first day of shooting, I shook his hand. And I said, Mr. Nimoy, you seem to think I, I know what I'm doing here, but I like really don't. And he had said, he had said to me in the, in the, in the audition for the Vulcan uh, um, mystique, think 1000 years of wisdom behind the eyes. 
And I thought, oh my goodness, that's a tall order. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot to to put in the eyes. <laughs> Literary treks. We're not messing around anymore. The reset button is gone. Characters' lives are going to move forward. Fortunes are going to change. When things happen, you can take it seriously. It's not all just going to get forgotten by the time the next book comes out next month. This is going to be something that is going to carry forward and is going to have lasting repercussions on all of the literary books, not just the ones written by Mac, not just the ones in this particular subseries. But by joining them all together and having nods to the Star Trek Corps of Engineers, to Voyager, to DS9, to Enterprise. Standard Orbit. We've had some some various uh, folks and, you know, uh, guest star roles and things that had passed here and there, um, you know, the last year or so. Um, and, and all of that is sad. But when, when somebody who is really a part of the foundation of what Star Trek is and what it became it really hits you kind of hard. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find our show. So guys, you want a quick bonus question? Yes, please. So if you were in the position of Riker in Hide and Q, and you had these uh, Q powers... Would you have done the same thing as he did? Or would you have tried in some way to to keep the powers? What do you think? Oh, I was hoping for a different bonus Oh, question. well, you ask the question then. So, if given the Q powers... Um, <laughs> what would you do? What wishes would you grant your co-hosts? Oh, oh, that's uh, sorry, Justin. That's an amazing question. I uh, okay to answer Justin's question. Yes, I would keep my powers. I think that would be too tempting. I don't think I could give, give them up. What powers would I grant my what gifts? Yeah. Or yeah, what gifts? Would I, okay. Uh, uh, interesting because I don't really know you guys all that well. Joe, this is a this is Dave. a test and you will be judged by your answers. The trial is beginning now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Justin, do you have an answer? Jo- yes. Or Joe, you do you need more time to think? <laughs> no, like I'm I'm thinking of something, but I don't know if it's appropriate, essentially. Mm. So But we can um, edit. This is the power. Yeah, I know. So what I was gonna say, like um uh, I'll just say it. So Rosie obviously mm-hmm. has some health issues at the moment. That Aww. might be a good gift that you might love. Oh, that so. was my gift to Justin. Aww. Rosie's health. <laughs> okay, so I that was appropriate. Yeah. Okay, because mm. yeah. okay. we know that um, would make you happy, and you guys could live forever. It so. w- oh, it would. Thank you. That's that's very kind, <laughs> and um, um, probably much more generous gift. than the thing that I was thinking about, but. See what I- and Joe, what I would give you is a very sunshiny day 
<laughs> once a month. Once a month? Once a month. <laughs> yes, once a month. Because you have to have the clouds to enjoy the sunshine that you would have some nice Las okay. Vegas sunshine once a month. I would give that to you. Hmm. And there is a reason that Scotland's a really green place. Yeah, I wouldn't want to take that away. So much rain. Yeah, I just want okay. to give you some sunlight and sunshine, some some love from Las Vegas. Would it would it always occur on a weekend? <laughs> yes, that important. That's important. I don't want to be stuck in work. When That's it's true. Yes, thirty six degrees outside. Saturday, and... Sunday only. Okay, thank you. That's a lovely gift. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, Amy, what would I give to you? Um, I'm not sure, Amy. I honestly don't know what I'd give you. Maybe it'd have to be a Troy-related gift, wouldn't it? Like your own personal Why don't you give Troy? me the confidence to talk to Marina Sirtis when she's on the cruise in, in March? Oh, okay. Can you do that for okay, me? That's, sure, you okay. can make gift requests and I will uh, take it into consideration. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, my bonus question for you Wait, guys Wait, I didn't is, answer the question. Wait, Justin didn't answer. What I want to oh. know what I'm getting from Justin. Okay. Me too. Okay. So one of the things that I thought of for both of you guys is that all of your students love Star Trek and love to talk about it with you and get all of your references in class. Ah. Uh, Wouldn't that be nice? And it, yes. a, yeah, it's never happened to me. You've never had a student that's been into really? Star Trek? No. No, come on. I think they just, they, no, they annoy me and say, oh, we prefer Star Wars. So I ask them, how much Star Trek have you seen? And they say, none. All of them? And I'm like, you can't, you can't judge. <laughs> I have yeah. one to two every year. Remember, Star Trek's oh, bigger, much bigger yeah, than the US. It's much more part of the... Well, you need culture. to change that. You need to be the Scottish Star Trek ambassador that that has everyone in Scotland be a fan. No, anyway, I've been getting away from what, gifts what, to give. What else can I do? I'm like a famous <laughs> podcaster on Trek FM's Earl Grey <laughs> podcast. There's okay. literally nothing more I but can the, do. So that was one thing. The The other okay. thing would be, I would I would give you guys the gift of being in a Star Trek show. Now, remember, this is... This is if I had Q powers, which I don't. So it, I'm not saying that I can do that for you. But if I could, I would love to do that. And that oh, just and for and for you, Amy, to play opposite Marina Sirtis. Okay. Yeah, and for you, Joe, cool. to play. Do I even know who your favorite character is in TNG? It'd have to be Data or Jordy. Okay. So you'd be mm. you'd be in a scientists. scene with Data and Jordy. Uh, sciencing your way out of a problem in engineering, in engineering, yes. yeah. and then around that main console. Yeah. That'd be awesome. So there you go. Thank <laughs> you. Nice gifts and the and the holiday spirit, <laughs> giving each other gifts. Yes. My question to you guys then, because we're all doing bonus <laughs> questions, is if you were a Q, what would be your um, what would be your um, oh finger snap? Oh, what would be the thing that you would do? Yeah. I thought about that, especially with True Q and Amanda, and how and she, she does, does this, like, little... oh yeah, like yeah. no, it's the hand, it's the hand motion. She does, she does, like yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking bewitched with the nose twinkle, you know, mm -hmm. wiggle, wiggle. You want your nose to wiggle? 
No, I just was thinking that that was, you know, how that was the clue to the audience that, you know, magic was going to happen. Yeah. What would be your um, move? Me. I'm talking to Amy. Yeah. Sorry. I actually, Joe, what's your, oh, Amy, sorry, yeah, sorry. No, Joe, what's yours? I'm thinking. I'd be, I'd be something really extravagant and silly. Eating a Jaffa cake. Like, <laughs> no, like a, a cartwheel. A cartwheel. <laughs> oh, a cartwheel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just that, like a standing back flip. <laughs> like I just go, whew, flip myself upside down and then magic up. That, that would be fun. amazing. That'd be funny. Yeah. You know, I'd want to do something different. So I was thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to do anything with my hands or my arms. So it's then that leaves me with my feet. So uh, I might do, you know, a little uh, click the heels or oh. a little uh, pomerade or whatever. <laughs> little do you know what? Step. No, I've got, I've got one. It would just be a wink. Wink. <laughs> That'd be great. You know, it's funny because Justin, when I, you? When I think you about this, it wouldn't be a gesture. I would just say, make it so, and then it would happen. Hmm. I feel that's a, a catchphrase. It's <laughs> yeah, I know. But, you know, Q is fond of Picard, and I am too. So, I would just say, make it so. All right. Well, if you wanted something that would be more like a, a gesture, maybe it would be, um, what would I do? Maybe it, it would it would just be like giving a thumbs up <laughs> and then that does it. Yeah. Thumbs up. Shoo! Hey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't That's know. Cool. Great question though. Mm. Special super expanded still listening section. Okay. So if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. And there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter and Instagram at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you are not a merry man? <laughs> I am not. Uh, so you can find me elsewhere on the network co-hosting The Line. That's our Star Trek Picard podcast with my friends Brandon Chamatal and Chrissy DeClerc-Zalagi. Uh, we've been having fun talking about all things Next Generation and Voyager in the run-up to that show. And we will talk about every episode as it airs starting in January. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So, Joe, where can people contact you when you're not fantasizing about all of your students loving Star Trek? Do you know what? I, would, I think I would just um, rather the they liked physics okay. or not liked physics. They like physics because they do it, but they, they studied. Okay. When you're not more, fantasizing about your bad. students studying more and loving Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter at joeyjoe77uk. You can email me joepodcasts at gmail.com and you can get me on the Babel conference and Amy where can people contact you when you're not um, avoiding being shot with compressed Tetrion weapons <laughs> alright uh, well you can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson 
and you can find me there on the Babel Conference. Yeah, that's where I'm at now. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's that is where you're at. That's the only places you exist now. At Earl, Earl Grey. Cool. Yeah. So, if you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Jim McMahon, Joe Keegan, and Justin Ozer, my favorites. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. If you're lucky, I'll drop by to say hello from time to time. See you out there. Great joy and gratitude. So, five card stud, nothing wild, and the sky's the limit. I was trying to recall that movie. It's a movie about AI, um, and there's an operating system that's new. It's set in the future, and the guy falls in love with his computer AI assistant. Yeah, you know? I, I haven't seen it. No, I don't think. Um, <laughs> Booby trap. Anyways, there's a no, lot. It turns. <laughs> yes, it turns out that. Um, this AI that he falls in love with, like he properly falls in love, like it's a, a human woman, um, and they have this relationship. But it turns out that um, the AI is also talking to like every other user around the world. Her? So it's like sh- she, the AI is a she. No, isn't the movie named oh, her. her? The movie Her, yes, yes. And he's like, feels like the AI OS has cheated on him mm-hmm. because she's with billions of other people yeah. all the time. Yep. Um, so you could argue that the enterprise computer's probably having a relationship with a lot of other people because people might be given her requests like T Earl Greyhawk. <laughs> <laughs> oh lift my gosh. Deck eight. Yeah. So that enterprise gets around a bit, doesn't she? Um, mm. Shall we do some more feedback? Um, <laughs> yes, let's move along. Okay. 